This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So we have a major blockade of our rail traffic. We have the the crisis around the coronavirus. And with all of this going on at home, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in Africa with Raptors president Masai Ujiri, among others. He'll be attending the African Union Summit, but his main mission is to garner support for a bid by Canada to gain a seat on the United Nations Security Council. He has already spent millions of taxpayer dollars, and he's busy hobnobbing with African leaders, some of whom have dubious human rights records, to cabinet ministers and a parliamentary secretary, have also been involved in this lobbying effort, as well as 13 government employees who are working on it full time. So why does he want this so badly? What good will it do us? And and what are our chances anyway? What do you think? Is this what he should be spending his time and energy on? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome Diane Francis, a noted Canadian journalist, author, and editor of editor at large for the National Post since 1998. Hi, Diane. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Okay. So uh, you wrote a fantastic column on this. Uh, so how do you see it? Well, I think it's a waste of time, and I think it's another indication of how This is a prime minister who's really not a good leader for Canada. I don't think he's done much of of anything for the country economically and certainly not culturally, if I can use politically, uh, culturally, if I can use that phrase. Uh, He's alienated a lot of Canadians. He he lost his majority as a result. And and he would have probably uh, not even been prime minister if the conservatives had a more popular, better leader to offer up, because people were pretty upset with a lot of what he'd done. This is another indication of a guy who's really not engaged in the issues that mean a lot to Canadians. And he's, he's you know, flitting around doing a, doing a thing in Africa that is not going to defer, confer one iota of benefit to Canadians. He's spending millions of dollars doing it wasting a lot of time and as you pointed out he he's you know letting he's sort of fiddling while Rome burns you know we've got this uh, indigenous crisis going on right now which in part was his his doing uh and and you know because he's just let the hereditary tribal leaders in the indigenous community just run run riot with whatever they want and and you know evade the law if they feel like it and they feel justified so and the, and the federal government has stayed on the sidelines Diane, while, they as- have, while they have done all these things. So the United Security Council has 15 members. This is one seat. And, you know, the, it, the Security Council is run by the big five, and they, they veto everything. 
And I, I don't even understand why this would be sought after. Okay, well, that's that was going to be my next question. Would it, you know, one of the things he said is Canada is now back on the international stage. Uh, this, of course, a dig at the Harper government uh, and uh, the kind of uh, positions it took on a lot of things. Is, is that what it is? Is it the fact that he is an international celebrity and sometimes more popular there? Why does he want this? Well, I, I, it's just puzzling to me. Uh, it doesn't move the dial on any of the things that mean anything to most Canadians, like the cost of rent, the cost of housing, the cost of food. And, you know, when am I going to get my oil job back and they stop barring pipelines for no reason that have been legally approved? I mean, these are the things that people are concerned about. And, uh, you know, it's not because people are shallow, but this is what he's been hired, so to speak, or elected to do, is to look after uh, Canadians' interests, not his own interests in, in get, gaining some kind of small prestige from being on the Security Council. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, I, I don't understand it. I think it's just ego, and I think it's an attempt to, to distract. Uh, what, what are our chances anyway? I mean, there, there are a couple of things standing in the way. I believe the other people who are vying for the seat, it's, it's Norway and who Ireland. else? At Norway and Ireland, they've been at it for years. In the case of Norway, uh, the person would be a superstar who was involved with negotiating the Oslo Accords. And apparently we started late. Is, 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 is there anything else? Well, you know, and the other thing is, too, there's two other points I, I tried to make in that column that concern me. First of all, we, we don't have much of a shot at it, and I, so I don't know why he's spending millions of your money and mine on going after something that's a long shot, particularly since Canada's been a laggard on peacekeeping efforts for the United Nations. It's been a laggard in terms of foreign aid contributions compared to Norway and Ireland. How we think we can compete against two countries that are more generous in both those aspects than us is is quite beyond me. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, when you're going around courting the favor of 54 African nations, many of whom have really terrible leaders and are very corrupt countries, you know what they're going to have to be promising to get their votes. Well, they vote going to be all kinds of things that, you know, that's the name of the game. That's how the game is played in the Olympics and the World Football Federation or in uh, UN Security Council seats. You have to give away stuff. And I don't want these people to get stuff, frankly. Well, well he's... He's already promised programs to help women and girls. Is there anything wrong with what he's offered so far that we know about? No, but he did that before. I mean, the, the women and girls thing for foreign countries has been in our budgets for, for a number of years. This is not anything new or incremental he's adding. No, I'm talking about soft, soft uh, bribes, like giving, you know, student visas or work permits having trade missions or giving more aid. I mean, these kinds of things, I, I just don't think should be entangled in somebody's political ambitions. It's my money and it's your money. We already pay a lot of taxes. And, you know, I just don't think it's a good use of his time or our money with no benefits whatsoever. And the downsides are that you're going to be owing some leaders that are pretty unsavory for favors in return. And I just don't 
think that's appropriate. Isn't that against his whole brand, you know, cozying up, basically cozying up to some dictators? Well, I don't know what his brand is. His brand is uh, selfies with Greta. You know, that's what his brand is. Good-looking guy, very presentable in many in many scenarios. But this guy doesn't really, you know, uh, I don't think he fills the bill of being the chief executive officer of a G7 nation with a large economy who is slavishly devoted to get to being a big deal in the United Nations. That's not his job. We elected him to be, you know, the CEO of Canada, not to be a rising star in the United Nations firmament. I don't care about the United Nations. Okay. Uh, hang on, Diane. Let's let's uh, hear from a couple of our listeners. Brian in Mimico. Hi, Brian. Hi. You know, I think our esteemed actor playing the role of prime minister wants to set himself up for a high uh, UN job, perhaps with his ego, secretary general. I think that's where a lot of this is going. Ooh, I haven't heard that, but uh, that's well, an interesting sense. thought. It makes sense. One of his mentors was, was Maurice Strong, a guy with a very checkered history concerning corruption involving Korea and and uh, and embargoes of oil uh, out of out of Iran or Iraq or something. And he was a big liberal guy, and he was a mentor, and he was uh, very close to Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and he he always would, you know, he was a head of Petro Canada in Canada, and then he'd go to the UN and be something, assistant something or other. So it's kind of a, a, a time-worn tradition. Okay, thank you, Brian. Let's go to Warren in Oshawa. Hi, Warren. Hi, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. I totally agree with your guest caller, Diane, there, and uh, your previous caller, Brian. All, he, all Trudeau is doing is just bribing his way into a position that's just going to give us give away more of our taxpayers' money if we get on the Security Council. There's enough problems in Canada alone that he's just throwing off to the provinces with this blockade and everything and gun control. He wants the cities to look after the gun control instead of the federal government making the decision on that. Like like I said, just a waste of money. He should get back to Canada and look after his own country first. Okay, Thank Warren. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. And Dennis in Brampton, you have a different view. Let's hear it. Yes, I do. In fact, I must say the political bias of your uh, commentator today was really showing. I, she, she's I, a commentator. She's, uh, she, she has her views. That's why we're talking to her. I, I understand that. I don't think I've ever heard her when she's on your show speak favorably of the liberal is specifically true. But that's not my point. The point is that I, this really boils down to which side of the political spectrum one sits on. And I'm, I'm not going to be pro one way or the other, although I have my view. But Typically, conservatives, both in Canada and the U.S., uh, take a more isolationist view of the world. They believe we should focus exclusively on issues here in our own countries, and uh, those to the other end of the spectrum tend to view the world as a more global world where we, we, should, be in, we should be involved. Um, we can. Uh, there seems to be consensus if wars involved that we're in in there uh, because money is involved. But it really is to me. It's a political uh, spectrum issue, and where you sit really depends on how you view this. Well, it's it's also Dennis a, a question. Like even if if you believe in global engagement, I mean, 
I, I think the UN is mostly a moribund institution. And when you have five permanent members who each have a veto, what's the point of it anyway? Well, true. That is true. That being said, uh, does that mean we should just uh, all back away from uh, any involvement in world affairs and say, well, you know, let those five deal with it? I don't think so. Okay, Dennis, thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, just on that uh, interesting comment, I know a number of liberals who are pretty disgusted with this U.N. seat business. This is about time, money allocation. This is not about being isolationist. I'm not saying we should quit the U.N. I'm not being black and white about this. Uh, this is about, and, and of course, things. all the international institutions are very important, and we, we are, you know, necessary. it's necessary that we... We are involved in that, the G7, the G20, blah, blah, and on and on. This is about time, money, allocation. And this is not a good bang for the buck. And now I would like to also bring in Dr. Thomas Kwasi-Tieku. He is a professor of political science at King's University College in London, and he has a very different view. Welcome, Dr. Tieku. Thank you so much, uh, Libby. Okay, so uh, I'm sure that you are well aware of all the reasons that some people are not very keen on this bid by the Prime Minister, the money it costs, the fact that he probably has to make promises and cozy up to some unsavory African dictators, and the fact that it's also a, a long shot. What do you say? A couple of things. Let me catch out the big picture issues, and then later on I'll come back to the kind of uh, today's bread and butter issue that Diana is talking about. Um, on the big picture front, a country such as Canada, with a small population and a huge line size, we need multilateral institutions such as the UN more than any other country. And sitting at the UN Security Council is a very, very important um place for us to be. Because the UN Security Council, as some people often don't know, is the only institution that can make a rule that is binding on everyone, including Canada, whether you are at the table or not. And as we often say, if you are not at the table, you are probably on the menu, right? So that's a, that's a fair, that's a fair big, bigger point, right? So if you are big land, our military, it will not be enough to defend our land. It is the rules, international rules, that would help us defend our land. And if anything has taught us any lesson at all, the annexation of Crimea by Russia tells us that we need these international rules and norms to protect and guide all of us. Okay, I'm going to let Diane respond to that. Diane? Yeah, this is not about attacking. Again, this is not about isolationism, with all due respect to the other guests. This is a local Canadian issue about a prime minister who is spending time and money pursuing a seat that will probably not get and isn't prestigious enough given the time and money he's spending and the fact that he's left behind a bunch of problems here. Just this week, he's got a huge crisis involving indigenous peoples and protests, and he should be here. And, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a local issue. It's not the Canadians want to turn their backs on the international order, on our rules and norms and all of that. And I still think that Canada, even as a member of the G7 and the G20, has more clout than it ever will have having a seat, a single seat on a 15-member UN Security Council. Yeah, Dr. Tieku, I mean, the, the big five have a veto anyway. What, what do you say to that? 
The, the point about it is that I think the misunderstanding with the UN system is that people don't know that it works like a club, right? And it works at an informal level. Nothing comes to the UN Security Council without a back a backroom negotiation. And when you are in the council, you get to take part in that in terms of negotiating the resolution that comes to the table. There are a number of problems that we have in Canada here that if we were at the UN Security Council, we might be able to resolve it effectively. Such as? Take our, you know, our relationship with our biggest trading partner. The ambassador to the UN is actually a cabinet minister. And therefore, a number of issues, the Canadian ambassador will be able to sit down the table and negotiate with. And anyway, once you go on the Security Council, your, the attitude towards you globally changes. Let me give you a small, a small statistic just to back this one up. If you look at the, even developing countries, as soon as they go into the U.S. Security Council, aid to them quadruples. And that's the statistics that we have, and that's the study that has been done, and that's a consensus among academics. So it's a very important thing. Let me come down to this bread and butter issue that Diana is raising, right? The prime minister trip, it's one aspect is the U.S. Security Council, but the bigger issue is a prime minister trying to use the African continent to reset our relationship in such a way that we would be able to engage on the African continent. For example, a continent where we depend on only on the extractive sector, for example, we have an asset of around 26 billion. So if Diana is talking about, you know, the cost of our housing, the cost of our, the hospital that, you know, if he's going to my sign or going to any, those things are very important, particularly given that he's in Toronto, which is a mining, most of our mining is already in African continent. The doctor, okay, Diane, yeah. uh, a couple of things here. Do you agree that being on the Security Council would help us with the United States, let alone China, that we're having lots of problems with? No, no, not at all. Um, look, we're in the G7. That is hugely important. And by the way, you know, we shouldn't be in the G7. We are not the se- one of the seven biggest economies. We were put there because the Americans wanted us on to help them. You know, Spain and India, lots of countries are bigger than us. But anyway, that's beside the point. The G7 gives us a huge amount of clout and a huge amount of reach. And so does the G20. And we're in the Francophonie. We're in the Commonwealth. I mean, we're, we're members of everything. And we're involved in the General Assembly, for goodness sake. So Canada already is pulling more than its weight in terms of having a presence in the international institutions that matter to Canadians and our economy going forward. This is ego. And, uh, you know, anyway, I really don't have much more to say on it. And, and, you know, we disagree, and I respect the gentleman. And, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe there's some magic that happens when you have a one of 15 on a, on but a board. But it sort of sounds I, you know, like a... I think it's wishful wishful thinking, and I just think it's a a local Canadian issue about uh, allocation of time and money by the chief executive officer of this country. Let me ask you this, Diane. Uh, If there's been this big campaign, if we don't get it, what is the damage of that? I don't think it's a big deal. It's a one-day headline in Canada. Nobody else will notice. The tree fell in the forest. I mean... You know, it'll be Norway or Ireland. It's not like we're trying to keep some rapacious, horrible country uh, from getting the seat. I mean, it's Ireland and Norway, for goodness sake. So I, I just, I, I don't think it's a, it shouldn't be taken as a big prestigious fall from grace. Canada's in the G7. That is hugely powerful. And we're in the G20.
Okay. Uh, hang on. Let's take a call. Well, from... I've, I've got a, I've actually got to go. Okay, Diane. Thank you for being with us. Okay. Thanks, Libby. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Let's take a call from Steve in Stouffville. Hi, uh, uh, Libby. Um, I, I guess Christy's not there. She's just left, is she? That's Diane. Francis. Oh, Diane. Sorry. Um, yes. Um, anyways, um, I just wanted to comment on, on one thing uh, you'd mentioned about uh, Trudeau's aspirations to the UN. And she had mentioned uh, a gentleman by the name of Morris Strong. In our, our history, in our, in our schools, we don't hear about um, uh, Morris Strong, but Morris Strong is actually and has turned out to be the most powerful man um, on on the basically in the in the world because um, he is uh, the one that was the father of of global warming. But um, uh, he was a very powerful guy. That is, uh, there is no question about that. But he he did all his magic behind the scenes exactly. And and Trudeau is basically setting himself up the same way. Um, uh, Maurice Strong. He knew all of the prime ministers. He was um, personal friends and business partners with um, uh, Al Gore. And um, anyways, it, it's a, an entangled uh, trip. And the thing was, I never heard of Morris Strong before, but my, my cousin lived out in um, uh, Delo, Manitoba, and Morris Strong lived about 10 miles from there in Oak Lake. Anyways, um, he basically tried to swindle my cousin's property. Okay, um, we, uh, Steve, uh, yeah. thanks for your call. I think we've heard enough about Morris Strong. We're we're going to try and get back to this question about the prime minister. Okay, very thanks, good. Thank you. Thanks for your call. And so, Doctor Tieku, do you agree yeah. that if we campaign for this seat and don't get it, that it's it's not a big deal? Um, it's. The sky will fall from uh, fall down, but it's a big deal to some extent, right? It shows that our international standing is not as strong, although we came into um, into the process very late. Um, it's also it's an indication of um, where we stand as a country. So it's very important that we um, we win it. And I think the other point that I wanted to make is that I think people don't realize that. The G8, G20, and all those institutions are actually a subsidiary of the UN. In other words, UN can make a decision that they have to enforce. So they are not more powerful than the UN. Right. But I, I think Diane's point was that being part of those was, was enough, and this was basically a waste of time. Uh, let me ask you one more thing that we mm-hmm. haven't touched on yet. So mm-hmm. yesterday, John Baird, the former cabinet minister, he brought up the whole blackface issue, and he thinks that this campaign will remind people in Africa of that particular debacle. Do you agree? No, I don't. You know, um, I think it's no. Kind of the way racist kind of discussion is a very North American, if I will put it this way. Um, But those of us who grew up on the African continent relate so much race. I think, you know, talking about race and the way uh, we talk about it is not the kind of a bread and butter on the African continent. And I think if they didn't at all, um, it would actually help to enhance Canada's image on the continent. And as my sense is that the idea that this trip is about a prime minister, it's like, I don't know where this, this idea comes from, right? We are very a trading nation. And it's like, you know, and you have your salesperson in chief, and you tell your salesperson in chief to sit at home. It's like telling, you know, a resident agent, 
sit at home and you'll be able to sell a house. It just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so you don't think that uh, that anything from the blackface issue is resonating over there? It's not an issue. It's not an issue. Not. I have been monitoring African newspapers. I've been monitoring, says, um, you know, uh, social media. No, it's not zero. And just one last point about this whole idea of uh, African countries is going to be talking about detectors. And yes, there are, there, there are uh, quite a number of detectors, but people forget that about two thirds of African countries are actually democratic, right? So it's not about, and he do, doing it, not talking to, um, the, the, the government that have questionable human rights record, right? He's picking his countries carefully. And going to Senegal, for example, is really good for our, uh, for our Francophone, um, uh, Canadians. It's really, really good for our Francophone because of the special relationship that they have with the French African country. And then anyway, he's using it as a basis to uh, plug us into the last Francophonies. And people don't realize the strategic importance of this particular trip. Okay, well, uh, we'll have to see how it turns out. Dr. Thomas Tieku, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.